everything can't be important or nothing isn't becomes important. It's like a jam on bread. If you spread it too thin, you can hardly even taste it. That's Tim Ash. He's an expert in evolutionary psychology and digital marketing. This double whammy means he's doubly qualified to talk to us all about the best ways to spruce up your website and get traffic to it. He's worked with big companies like Google, Expedia, Nestle, Facebook, American Express, and now he's here with us. And we're going to break down his research into actionable tips that you can use to get more eyeballs on your site and keep them there. Welcome to Kim Commando Explains. And that's our topic today, web design, landing pages, how important they really are. A recent study found that nearly 2 billion people shopped online in 2019. That same year, e-retail sales raked in over, oh my gosh, get this, $3.5 trillion worldwide. So you can make money online. But what if you're not selling products? You still need eyeballs to your site. More eyeballs mean more advertising dollars. So today, we're going to go over the seven deadly sins of website design. Tim put together this list. He said it's the most common mistakes that people like you are probably making each and every day. And after we go through the seven deadly sins, well, we've got some good news. We're going to go over how to get people flocking to your site. You're also going to learn how to get them to stay because that's important. We want a low bounce rate. Yeah, that's another term to know. So stay right where you are. We've got a lot coming up. Yeah, it's a digital life, as I like to say, but so many of us are still in jungle mode. We still have the same ancient drives that our ancestors did. For example, we all want food, friendship, and community. A lot of those drives are written into our DNA, and savvy marketeers know all about them. Sometimes it's called our primal brain, and that's what Tim Ash has researched for so many years. He knows what brain processes drive clicks and traffic to websites, and he uses that to help some of the world's biggest tech companies. And Tim, thanks so much for joining us. And when we start talking about websites and eyeballs and visitors, is there one thing that really stands out that a lot of companies are making like the biggest mistake ever? Yes, they're not tuned in to Wiffham Radio. What's in it for me? <laughs> Every company tries to broadcast their crap. Buy, buy, buy. All 8 billion people on the planet need our stuff. And it's not true. What you have to do is take things from the perspective of your website visitors and be truly of service to them. And that, I think, is the big mistake that almost all digital marketers make. Well, and I think a lot of folks, and I know that I've been guilty of this in my business, and I've owned my business for 20-odd years. Actually, the first commando.com went online, and you can look at it on the Wayback Machine, and I have, like, really big, like, 80s hair. (laughs) But it was like... (laughs) Hey, at uh, least you have hair. Well, yeah, there is that. Although, you know, they say bald's beautiful. I mean, think about (laughs) all that. But anyway, um, when we start looking at websites, and especially we went through a redesign and every time it's so painful when we do that but we try to look at it as somebody who's new to the site somebody you know what what are they really going to gravitate towards and the mistake that i've made in the past is that i think oh you know my gut tells me to put this here right and you really have to let the data speak so how do you how do you transition from your gut feeling to really looking at numbers 
Well, if you have enough traffic, you can look at numbers. Unfortunately, a lot of sites don't have enough traffic, so they can't use statistics or testing different versions of the content. But what you can do is eliminate what I call the seven deadly sins of landing pages. They're very common mistakes that are made on almost every website that are killing its effectiveness. And so start at number one. Number one I I see on your list is no clear call to action. I mean, do you want them to what? Do you want them to read something? Do you want them to buy something? Do you want them to scroll? I mean, are you, do you put everything of, for the, that call to action above the fold so they actually see it? Yeah, well, it's important not to clutter it. The main thing about a clear call to action is it has to stand out on your website because that's the beacon that you want them to be drawn to. And unfortunately, most of us have bored graphic designers working for us and they just want to decorate the site and they want to put moving background images or very big graphics or gigantic fonts. And basically what you have is a bit of a Turkish bazaar on the site where everything (laughs) is competing for your attention. And how I describe an ideal website is one that has this quality of Zen-like stillness out of which the call to action naturally arises. And very few of us can say that we've achieved that. I, you know level what? Of I was Zen. just when you say that Zen, I'm sitting there thinking like, um, and you know, and then there, <laughs> there's no flashing banners. There's no like buy now, click here. You know, the one thing that you need to know right now, or else the hackers are going to get you. You know, all the clickbait stuff. Maybe, well, I'm not you know. saying don't be effective in terms of the messaging or anything like that. What I'm saying is, people, marketers, often confuse driving traffic to your site with being effective once someone gets to your site. When you're out there and you're competing for those eyeballs, as you called them, then you you should be obnoxious. You should have flashing ads and things <laughs> that draw attention to for them to click. But once they get to your site, give them a BS-free zone. You don't have to compete for their attention. They're already there. So give me an example of that. Well, uh, a lot of uh, websites right now use very, very dominant background graphics. They use stock photography, pictures of people. We've all seen the, oh, everybody's shaking hands around the corporate conference room table picture. We used to work in my agency with Shutterstock. So, I mean, we decorate with images and we shouldn't do that. We should have a clear prioritization on the website of what you want people to do. And if your call to action isn't the most striking thing on the page, then you have to tone everything else down. So boring really wins and rings the cash register a lot, but that's not something that you're going to brag about at the cocktail party with your fellow executives. See, I I think... I think that we have a problem with our site in that we're we're we do too many things. And so mm-hmm. and and we present which is next on your list too many choices. I mean, we yes. have I mean there is the option to watch the show, to listen to the show, to get the podcast, to get the USA Today column, uh to join the community, to leave a question. <laughs> it's like and then in the middle of this, we have the latest breaking news and the deal of the day and so <laughs> I, I mean, you, you know what I call that, Kim? I call it death by and. Oh, we want you to no. do this and this and this and this. And so if you can't prioritize what's important, how do you expect me to do it? And again, if everything is screaming for my attention and competing for it, I'm just going to tune it all out as just background noise. So one of the things I suggest to businesses is clearly prioritize the actions on your page. You know their economic value. You know ultimately if that's going to lead to more advertising dollars or more clients. So you have to have some way of prioritizing it that's 
economically rational. Guide them towards the things that uh, make sense for you as a business. Yeah, if only I could, you know, if only I could like make that happen. It sounds really great, but I think it's it's really hard, isn't it? Well, everything can't be important or nothing is becomes important. It's like uh, spreading attention. It's like jam on bread. If you spread it too thin, you can hardly even taste it. Now, your your next deadly sin, asking for too much information. This really bothers me. Like when you go to a website. And you're just like, you stumble upon this site. And it was maybe like a really good, like one great article. And then all of a sudden it's like, do you want to learn more about this? And the option is yes. And then it's like, no, I'd like to remain stupid, you know. And, <laughs> and, and they, they just keep flooding you with this. Is there, is there a certain point where it's okay to ask for more information? Because, you know, data is key. It's so great yes. if you could send personalized email. Like that's one of the problems we have with our email list. I mean, we send out it's a crazy number, like thirty million emails a month in marketing emails and newsletters and things like this. But we don't have not even their first name. And we all know that personalization is key today when it comes to right. website marketing. But we don't even know like we couldn't even say like, Hi Tim, here's the newsletter that you want. It's like, hi. Here's the newsletter that you want. I blank. Well, it's a trade-off. I'm going to have two answers to that one question, if it's okay. Sure. So in my book, Landing Page Optimization, which is kind of the Bible on designing better websites, I talk about the form field test. And this is, should you have a particular field on your online form? And it goes like this. Is this information absolutely necessary to complete the current transaction? And if you can't answer yes to both parts of that, if it's optional or if it can be collected later by in, in a follow-up visit or some other way of communicating with them, then it shouldn't be on the form. So that's one answer. The other is you're absolutely right. Where you are in the sales cycle really determines about how much information you should ask. At the beginning, you should ask for nothing because you don't have trust or a relationship with them. In the middle, as you get to know them, you can customize the content to them by asking for information. And at the end, when they're ready to transact with you, you should, again, get out of their way and not ask for anything. <laughs> so you can think of information collection as kind of an upside-down U-shape. Ask for nothing at the beginning. Ask for nothing at the end. In the middle of your relationship with them is where you should collect the most. You know, that's interesting um, to me because, like I said, we're like in the middle of trying to figure out you know, all this. And so many people, they don't want to give up any information now because of big tech, right? I mean, everybody is all upset about Facebook and Google and and Microsoft and Amazon and you name it. Uh, as far as they're taking our data, we don't know what they're doing with our data. And so you find that people don't want to actually release that information because you don't know exactly where it is. So at that point, when you're asking for the information, is it prudent to actually say, like, we won't sell your data or this is how we're going to use your data and this way they're more likely to give you that intel? Yes, you should absolutely make them feel safe that you're not going to barrage them or uh, you give them your phone number. All of a sudden, two minutes later, somebody's calling you up. That's with the extended warranty. Oh, my gosh. Make that <laughs> that's stop. Right. The or car would you like fries with that? That's <laughs> what I call that, an upsell or something. Don't do that. Absolutely not. But uh, again, you should ask former agency clients to err on the side of giving too much. That's great advice. And here lies in evolutionary psychology. Coming up, Tim and I are going to tell you why all this works after the break. You'd be surprised to find out how much you can boost your stats 
just by looking back at our ancestors. Isn't that crazy? So stay right where you are. We're going to share that secret. Plus, you're going to learn more about the dangerous mistakes that you're making with your site. And that could be costing you clicks and money. Hey, welcome back. There's always the idea of how much information you should give on a website. So, Tim, you say we should always err on the side of giving too much. Why is that? There's a balance. There's a give and take. And I always tell our former agency clients to err on the side of giving too much without expecting anything in return. Because there's an evolutionary basis for this. We're built to be proactive. We're built to cooperate. And culturally, we want to... Uh, we, we're actually obligated by someone giving us a gift. I'm going to say it again. Giving someone a gift obligates the That's receiver. True. So you should always go out of your way to give them as much value and gifts as possible. Then they're required to give you something of equal or greater value in return. So it, would that gift be a, a free ebook? A free download, uh, okay. a, a, a guide, uh, watching a video. Anything like that, informational gifts are very easy for us to replicate on the internet, but it could be free shipping or priority access, or you hear about our sale two days earlier than everybody else. Free gifts take a variety of forms, whatever makes sense for your business. But when you think about it, there's a balance scale, what I get and what I have to give. And if I have to give my time and attention and filling out your stupid freaking forms, <laughs> that's an ask. That's not a give. Yeah. I mean, it's like we all have the attention span of a gnat, right? It's like, <laughs> I, I like to say a lit match, but yeah, same that, idea. That's about it. Um, you talk about your landing page has to deliver your promise. How, how do you determine what your promise is? Mm, that's a great question. People don't just teleport onto your site like on the holodeck of the Starship Enterprise on Star Trek. They came from somewhere and they usually came from upstream. It might have been an ad or somebody else's link. Whatever that context that was upstream of your actual website, you made a promise there or somebody made a promise. And there has to be continuity. So you have to understand where your traffic's coming from, what context it's being seen in and what the promise is. And then once they get to your site, you have to follow through on that promise. You can't hide it. You can't put it at the bottom of the page. You can't have a tiny little link. If the main purpose of them was coming to the page is clear, then you should deliver on that once they get to the landing page and not do some kind of bait and switch. So what if the landing page isn't the home page? Maybe it's a, a content page. And so if somebody's coming in off of a Google search, how do you yes. deliver on that experience when they're already deep into the site and they may not have come through the front door, so to speak? That, that's a really insightful question. The way that I define landing pages in my book is it's it's any page where people land on your website that has significant downstream economic value. Often that is your homepage. But sometimes if you're an e-commerce catalog and you're deeply indexed in search engines, they're always going to be coming in through the side door, as you put it, on your product detail pages. So having the right product detail page template becomes critical. Sometimes you have dedicated standalone pages that you control for traffic you're paying for. So they're, they're all different. But the point is to catch them as they're coming through the side door and make sure that it has enough trust and other elements so it provides that context. So it becomes kind of a pseudo front door as well. If there's no context, then you'd expect them to uh, click through three pages from your homepage to get there. 
that's not enough context. The analogy I use is imagine a parachutist who blows off course at night and crash lands through the roof of your house and lands in a particular room. How are you going to orient them quickly? Think of every page on your site that's getting meaningful traffic as being a front door, or at least needing some reinforcement to orient people. You know, it, it, you bring up a, a great point in getting back into the side doors that we talk about bounce rates, right? I mean, what's the bounce mm. rate on a particular side? Or, and I think it's really important that people start tracking the data. I'd be, I'm so amazed at the number of people who don't fire up like Google Analytics, uh, on their site, and they don't really pay attention to the tracking. They don't look at any trends. Um, do you think Google Analytics is enough, or are there other tools that people should look at when we start analyzing the effectiveness of, of, say, search engine optimization or where the links are coming in? Well, Google Analytics is certainly enough, and for most companies, it's it's the it's free. Uh, there's, of course, they scale all the way up to sure. enterprise size businesses. And that becomes the paid version where they compete with, with other heavyweight analytics packages. Uh, but the, you're absolutely right. Just setting up the basics, it, it's a crawl, walk, run situation. You don't have to do super advanced segmentation and business uh, intelligence uh, in your other departments to come up with stuff. You can just say, hey, how do our first-time visitors versus our repeat visitors, for example, act? How do our mobile visitors versus our desktop visitors act? And you're going to find different insights, even just on the basic setup of it. I think anyone that doesn't have it set up needs to run out after this yes. episode <laughs> and go do that. And do that. And also heat mapping. I mean, I, yes. I you know what? I'm, I'm a, a data nerd when it comes to heat maps. I look at it and I'm like... <laughs> Oh my gosh. I mean, cause you know, you can really see the pattern and not just on your website, but also like in your email newsletters, you can see exactly where people link and where those clicking links are and which ones were effective, which ones weren't effective. Um, how do you yes. use, how do you use heat maps? That's, that's, that's brilliant because, uh, the, there's objective data and we all like the crutch of that. It's like the, uh, the drunk guy looking for his keys under the street light <laughs> because the light's better there. Uh, you don't want to do that. The problem with analytics and is that it only tells you objective data. It doesn't give you the subjective stuff. And what you're describing I'd, more broadly than heat maps, I would say, is in-page analytics, actually watching the behavior of people on your page. What do they click on? What do they scroll on? Uh, how often they do certain things. If they're, uh, You can record their sessions and actually see what people are doing in real time. So you can say, hey, everybody gets to part three of our checkout, but then we have this huge drop off. Yeah. What if we just recorded or replayed the sessions of the people that bail out at that step? I think just by watching it, you're going to see a pattern. So I'm a big fan of qualitative insights, not necessarily just quantitative. Analytics is great, but it's you're, all you're getting is historical data in, in statistics form. That's like driving at uh, 100 miles an hour while looking in the rearview mirror for insights. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I will tell you that I drove on the Autobahn a couple of years ago going 235 <laughs> miles an hour. Actually, it wasn't me. It was my oh. son. My son. And he was 18. And that was his, like, post-high school trip. Mm. And so that we drove all through Europe and we drove on the Autobahn. And, and I looked over at him and he was doing 235 miles an hour. And I said, like, 
out loud, I said, this is like a really bad parenting moment for me right now. Yes, it's kind of more like Mad Max, uh, Beyond Thunderdome or Death <laughs> yes. Race 2000. Yeah, okay. I was like, okay. Well, you're still alive, so congratulations. And you know what, it worked. My it, kids are teenagers, and I'm hoping to get to that post-18 <laughs> stage alive as well. Uh, well, you know, it's, uh, it's fabulous when you get there. It really is. And the conversations are no longer... You know, did you do this and do that? It's it's really kind of refreshing, you know, when you get past all that 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 whole teenage <laughs> scene type of thing. You know what I'm talking about. But anyway, back to uh, web design. Uh, we talked to, you talked a little bit about visual distractions, um, but that's mm. that's on your list about having too much going on. The Turkish Bazaar, the circus. Um, yes. Uh, one of the things that we don't do is visually prioritize with our pages. I've come up during my agency days with what I call the visual hierarchy. And it goes like this, text, graphics, and anything involving motion. So when you're, I'll read text and you can use power words like new and the free and stuff like that. That's all good. But if you put a picture next to it, I'm going to pay attention to that first. That's true. And if you have any kind of motion on the page, I don't care if it's a slide or it swipes, dissolves, those little multimedia widgets that burp <laughs> up your next tweet, any kind of motion, we're designed to detect motion in our environment because that could be a bear trying to eat you. So we can't ignore motion. It's like the nuclear option. So you have to be not sloppy but very deliberate about how you control attention on your page, text, graphics, and motion. And again, use those high impact elements to intentionally draw attention to important stuff, never as a decoration. Okay, that's important. If you're making notes, write that one down. We're going to dive more deeply into what Tim means after the break. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a flash. I'm hoping that all this talk about primal brains is getting that hamster in your head just racing on its wheel. Now, some of the stuff we spoke about so far can help revitalize your website. And once you know what mistakes you're making, it's so much easier to make little tweaks here and there. Next thing you know, people are just flocking to your site in droves. So, Tim, I want to go over one more thing. Trust. Trust is so important. I mean, because I like to, as I say on my show, is that you can Google anything, right? And if you can Google the answer, you should just Google that answer. I mean... But if you want trusted advice, that's where you can come to me. And I've, I've, my career is based on trust. I mean, the brand is based on trust. Um, yes. You know, and, and that's why we used like the color blue, because blue is to signify trust. And as a matter of fact, um, we just trademarked um, tech, you can, tech advice you can trust so that it becomes part of the brand itself. I'm fortunate that I'm able to establish that level of trust because, you know, a lot of people say, you know, radio's dying. Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> okay. I'm on 400. Not quite yet. Yeah, I'm on 473 stations. It's, it's far from dead. But radio is kind of different because it's an intimate medium. And, and let me describe that for just a second, is that it allows us to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, just like you and I are doing right now. But I can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Bob in Peoria and Sally in San Francisco and, and, and Edith in Florida. It's always Edith in Florida, by the way. It's, it's <laughs> something like that. Or Effie, something like that. Um, and you, you are able to establish this trust. 
and because you you have the I have this platform to do it. And then, of course, the credibility of writing for USA Today for 17 years. I mean, that's a whole nother level of trust. But if you're just starting out and you're just you're just fired up an e-commerce site or whatever it may be, what's the best way to do that on the web? Mm. That's a great question. It's actually complicated. You're absolutely right. If there's a relationship, if we're having this discussion, you get a sense for how I'm talking, what I'm wearing, um, my great streamlined haircut, all of that (laughs) stuff, right? But on the web, it's doubly hard because we're having a one-sided conversation. We can't see who comes in, what they had for breakfast that morning, what their belief system is. We might know what browser they're using and their screen resolution, but none of that mechanical stuff really helps. So we're, it's on us as the website creators to create instant trust online. And so I talk about four pillars for doing that. The first is the quality of the design. It has to look professional. Unless you're intentionally trying to say, uh, don't believe the medical establishment, you can drink uh, shark cartilage juice and <laughs> prevent cancer. I don't know. If, if you have that it's kind of stuff, you web. probably don't want it looking <laughs> professional. Uh, but appearance matters. People make a first impression of a website in a 20th of a second. Wow. And their, their likelihood of responding or acting on your site depends on that impression. The second thing I talk about is third-party credibility. Uh, PR mentions uh, what news outlets you've been on, um, safe shopping seals of uh, you know, you're, we're members of the Better Business Bureau, that sort of thing. Basically, not you saying you're great, but other people saying you're great. Third is social proof. This is Dr. Robert Cialdini talks about this a lot, and that is 100 billion hamburgers served in McDonald's, <laughs> or we've been around since 1975, or 30,000 satisfied customers, testimonials, reviews, that sort of thing. Um, and so, so all of those things are important. And finally, transactional trust. If you're asking me to give up sensitive information, if you're asking me to part with my money, then at that moment of high anxiety where I'm about to do that, you have to make me feel safer. There's a lot right there, Tim. I mean, that's a, I think that's one of the biggest areas in, in everything that we've all talked about is to really to get that person to trust you. Because there are so many scams, so many swindlers, conspiracy theories, fake news. I mean, just go down the list of everything that's wrong with the internet right now. And people are really, really afraid. They're afraid of, of hitting the wrong button or clicking this. Or, I mean, I've heard from so many people that they, they Google um, a tech support phone number and suddenly they're out $1,000. But the worst one that I heard was a, a guy called the show and I felt so badly for him because he got a phone call from Apple and Apple was telling him that they found child pornography in his iCloud account. Okay. And he's like, hmm. what? And they said, well, we have to escalate this to level two. Anyway, go, scam goes on for like weeks and weeks. He ends up giving them $70,000. Okay. So. Wow. <laughs> I know. And he's, and I'm like, and he's calling me like, can I get it back? I'm like, hmm, I don't think so. I'm really sorry. I mean, I'm good, but I'm just not that good. Uh, but it serves as <laughs> as a warning to everybody that that you know the, the scammer is only just a couple of clicks away, and he may or he or she may be actually in your inbox or on your phone or what have you. So, so being able to to 
portray that trust, I think is really, really important, especially in today's times. Like you mentioned, like, you know, using the credible sources and any type of PR mentions and, you know, the safety seals and, and the better business. Yes, and, and it's not a, a case of where you just put all this stuff on your site. It depends on the type of business. So for example, if you have expensive business to business kind of offerings, having just a couple of testimonials in each vertical industry that you serve is really, really powerful because that decreases my risk. Whereas for a consumer product, you want me to know that there are billions and billions sold because that shows market leadership and a different kind of safety. So it really depends on your business. And But the general idea of actively thinking about making your site trustworthy is probably one of the most important things you can do. So as we wrap up, some parting words of wisdom for every any site that wants to, say, be on the, the first page, the first listing underneath the sponsored post, of course, of Google. Well, that's that's to try to rank through search engine optimization. My concern is more what happens when they get to the website. Well, that's true, too. So, yes. uh, I, again, the focus should be on understanding your audience and being really, really locked into that. So as, I, as you know, I've been in online marketing for about 25 years, but I've recently shifted my focus to evolutionary psychology with my new book, Unleash Your Primal Brain. And the reason I did that is because we're trying to persuade people and people have a basic operating system. Our brains didn't just come into being by themselves. They evolved. And to understand all of those illogical little pieces we've picked up along the way is really, really critical. So if you want to be a good marketer, understand the fundamentals of psychology, especially evolutionary psychology. And that's the basis on which everything else is built. Technology may change. The human mind won't. There's some good points there. And, and thank you. Thank you, Tim, for being here. Thank you for sharing your, as you say, what is it, the seven deadly sins of landing page design. I'm sure that so many people learn so much just from from watching this and listening to the podcast. And, of course, you know, we can uh, get your books at where? Amazon? Uh, yeah, anywhere where books are sold, ebooks. I, I recorded the audiobook version. But you can go to primalbrain.com for info about the book. Or if you want to know more about my keynote speaking or digital marketing consulting, timash.com would be the place to go. You got a great logo, by the way, on your website. I saw that. I love the way you did the T and the A. I thought, wow, that's really clever. And yeah, thank you. I work with a pretty talented designer to make it that simple. It was. It was very, very good. So, Tim, thanks for joining us and thanks for watching us. And don't forget, hit that big old subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Now, I really love what Tim said near the end there. Technology might change, but the human mind won't. So much of marketing just comes down to understanding what we're working with. You've got to take a second and put yourselves in someone else's shoes. So ask yourself, what do they see when they open your site? What's going to catch their eye when they get to the homepage? How can you help them find exactly what they're looking for? Trying out that new perspective can be a total game changer. Now, wherever you get social media, Instagram, Snap, TikTok, Pinterest, Facebook, Twitter, make sure that you follow us at Kim Commando. That's at K-I-M-K-O-M-A-N-D-O. Now, just a quick reminder, this is not the National Kim Commando Show. You can get that as a podcast, only one place, getkim.com. Once again, that's getkim.com. You get a 30-day free trial. Why? Because I love you. And after that, it's just a few bucks a month. Thanks for listening. Hey, and be sure you also hit that big old subscribe button or follow if you're on Apple. So this way you get our podcast delivered to you automatically. And give us a great five-star review. If you learned just one thing, five stars 
and a great review. Thank you.